All right, everybody, welcome back to Artsy Fartsy Immigrants. I'm your host, Jordan Prince, and uh, yeah, this is another continuation of the 12 Songs for 12 Friends series that I've been on for the past, this is the third week in a row now, which is pretty crazy. I wish I had more updates in general for the uh, record label situation with it, but the this week, the representative Magnus is on holiday with his family in France somewhere. So, au revoir, Magnus, baguette, croissant, denis venu, French stuff, French fries. Uh, have a nice vacation. I'll talk to him next week. And until then, we can still keep breaking down this record, which has been a really enlightening thing for me. It's been a lot of fun to go through these songs and to, um, yeah, basically relive some of the moments from not only the the original, you know, stories that the songs are about and to, to really take some time to look at the people that these songs are about. But it's also been a lot of fun for me to uh, think about, you know, the actual production of the songs to to look into how it was to build these songs up from scratch and and how they were formed and I, you know I didn't even really get to do that so much on the last episode because I spent so much of it so much of it talking about really just one particular song which was high school um and I'm so happy that um you know actually Shannon the person who that song is about did get in touch with me this week uh, after she heard the episode um, and she uh, corrected one thing which I'll mention here she never dated Tyler Uh, let me just pull up that message and make sure I get her exact words right because I don't want to get anything wrong here Uh, she said didn't date Tyler he was just my bestie road wave of trying to keep Alex alive with me for a solid year before both of their demise. Uh, so, yeah, unfortunate, um, highly unfortunate situation with Tyler and Alex, of course. One little baby story that I left out of that uh, episode that I didn't think of at the time, uh, and I'll keep that brief because we, we really we have to move on with the album, is that um, I remember I was never extremely close to Alex, um, I found him to be the more troubled of the two, although I didn't know Tyler as well as, as Shannon, as the song goes. Um, and there was one evening I was hanging out with Thomas and them. Alex was over, was having a manic evening and was threatening to uh, kill himself. Uh, the guys that Thomas was with and Thomas himself uh, dismissed this, you know, they know him they knew him a lot better than me and apparently this was by far not the first time he had done that so they said oh alex he always does this you know so they ignored him and i remember getting a phone call from alex's mother who i didn't even really know that well but she knew me and she called me over she said please you have to come over to my house um you know alex is manic he's not doing well i need you to help me calm him down so i thought it was so crazy that she called me this is the first time i ever met her in person i'm pretty sure I don't even know how she got my number. If Maybe Alex told her to call me. I don't know. I ended up at their house. Uh, Alex was in, in an extremely manic episode 
um, hyper depression, very bipolar sort of situation going on. I'm not sure exactly what he was diagnosed with, but this was the feeling I was getting. And yeah, it was really scary and really intense. And I basically just tried to calm him down with words the best that I could, but it wasn't working so well. And eventually he uh, stormed off in a car in the night, in the rain, just like, like super speeding down the road. And I just looked at his mom and she just looked out at the road in the rain, in the night, just crying. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I have no idea where he went. And I don't know. I can't chase him. She's like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't chase him. And that was just like this really sad thing of, man, you know, you just can't help some people. And then I don't know how much longer it was after that before he actually killed himself. But yeah, sorry to start the show off with such a silly, goofy little story like that. Uh, but we do have to move on here. So we talked about high school. We got the corrections there. We talked about most famous surprise a little bit. Um, this is, has ended up becoming one of my absolute favorite songs to play live. Um, I've grown quite fond of playing with how some of the pieces are played and sang, but I talked about that already. So up next, song number eight on 12 Songs for 12 Friends is the first of two very special tracks. Uh, these tracks were an idea I had pretty early on. I really wanted to uh, literally put the voices of the 12 people into your ears when you listen to this album. Um, I think by this time, I didn't quite have this podcast going yet, if I remember correctly, but I was very, very, very um, into listening to other podcasts. And what I liked most are these sort of confessional sort of storytelling podcasts. Um, I mean, I like all kinds, but when you hear from real people telling a real story, it's it's pretty gripping. And, you know, I, it was really hard to direct these friends on what exactly they should say. Some people understood the assignment better than others. Some people had to ask to maybe record a couple of different things. Oh, could you do that again? Or maybe try something like this. What I didn't want, what I wasn't looking for was praise. Uh, I didn't want to ask a friend to tell something that they like or love or appreciate or whatever about me although that's very sweet to hear. And I didn't, I didn't want to get those things like, oh, one time Jordan did this and it was so funny. We all thought he's such a great, you know, like I didn't want those things because I'm already making an album about, about these people. I don't want to have voice clips where they tell me how great I am because it's, it would be so feeding into this like self egotistical, um, like echo chamber of how my stories and my friends and my feelings and my journey and my album is all the greatest that there is. And it's all about me. This, what I didn't want was that any part of this record ends up being about me, uh, but more it's like, it's really about these people. Each song, each thing is all about them. Uh, so when we got to the part where I needed to ask these friends to say things, to be included in the album, uh, the easiest first step was that thankfully no one really fought me about it. No one said, oh, I don't want to do that. Or, you know, I had some people with, you know, understandable insecurities saying that maybe, you know, oh, my voice is going to sound so stupid. I hate the way my voice sounds or I don't really know what to say. And, you know, so I just had to coach them a little bit and give them some some direction and really, I think the overall, sort of the overall direction that I gave everybody was um, to say, 
like to tell if you know if a memory comes to mind of something that really exemplifies our friendship to to them to just or just to talk about our friendship and things that make you think about our friendship and what it what the experiences that we've been through mean to them when they relive them um that was more or less like you know maybe it was less uh uh you know particularly worded than I just did it but it was something in that ballpark like just think about our friendship the things we've been through if a particular memory comes to mind you can tell a little story about it but you know something between a minute and three minutes or whatever and just send a voice message from your iPhone and I'll cut everything up so I had um I had a rough oh no that's right okay so first I got the voice memos and I got them all scattered over over a couple of months time some of them sent them by phone, some of them sent them by email. Some people recorded voice memos from the iPhone. Some people recorded from like a, a proper microphone uh, in their home studios or whatever. Some of them are musicians. So, you know, you got all different kinds of quality of recording. Some people recorded in their car. Like it took a lot of mixing from Tim Hecking to get that opening George clip to not be like kind of piercing and painful with the background noise. Uh, George, you know, very clearly recorded that, I, I don't want to say last minute, but probably Vivi or someone was like, hey, uh, have you sent that clip to Jordan yet? And he was like, oh, uh, you know, not yet, which is very George. And then he probably just hopped in his car on the way to work and was like, oh, I'll do it real quick. Um, and that's totally cool. Uh, but all that all that meant was that, you know, you can hear the keys jingling, getting into the car, you can hear the door shut, you can hear like the air conditioner on. So it was a lot of noise. And he's and he's talking very stuff like, "Hey, Jojo," you know. So you, there was a lot of mixing to and, and denoising, uh, EQing and stuff to get all that noise out. Uh, so you had all different kinds of quality, you know, as compared to Bruno's, which he did obviously on his, you know, Sennheiser in his soundproof studio. So it sounds perfect. Sounds better than this recording. Um, all different kinds of quality, all kinds of different lengths, and a lot of different perspectives. Um, in the end, a couple of people did send more, more braggadocious angles, more praise. So I had to ask them to redo it. And maybe I had to sort of like guide them more into like a certain memory of ours or something. Uh, in the end, we got some really amazing stuff. Um, so the first one of the two is called Cruise Street. These are interludes, uh, sort of like intermissions, if you will. But, you know, uh, Cruise Street is the last, if you're, if you're listening to the vinyl, or like the A-side, Cruise Street interlude is the last thing you hear before that side of the vinyl ends, which I think is a great way to end that record. And then when you flip it, it starts back off with Count On Me, uh, which is also a really energetic, really cool way to kick off the B-side. And I always fight internally which side is my favorite, the A-side or the B-side, because sometimes I just get so torn on what my favorite songs are. It always goes back and forth. Um... But anyway, so we can look at Cruise Street here. The way that we built this song, I, I knew that I wanted an instrumental, and I knew that I wanted to cut up the, these voice messages on top of them. I didn't know what order exactly of who would go where and how it would fit yet. I knew that I would do it where you'd hear part of a story from person A, then you'd hear part of B, and part of C, and then the rest of A, and then the rest of C, and then the rest of B. I knew it would be kind of scattered and... You'd have to really grab onto the voices and follow them throughout this. I like to imagine you're looking into the fog, 
you know, when someone uh, like a familiar face pops into the fog and tells you part of their thought, they dip back into the fog and then over there in the corner, someone dips their face out of the fog and tells you part of their thing. And you're sort of like watching them bob in and out, telling you pieces of their story um, as long as the fog is there, um, whatever. Uh, anyway, so Cruise Street, the way we made the song was we completely improvised the whole thing in studio. Um, I'm pretty impressed that we made it work on, in such a short way. Like we all very organically built the climax of both songs, Cruise Street and Lakeshore Drive. Um, in studio, I think I had a very beginning riff for both of them. And then there in the studio with Vivi and Jake and Nick and Avi, we sort of grabbed our instruments, doodled around with it like after lunch, found it, and then just laid it down. And I think we did two takes of each, something like that. Um, so we can hear this intro. Oh, sorry, that's count on me. So that's actually two tracks there. It starts off with Nick playing a, or maybe it might be just one track. I know that uh, it's Nick on the drum kit. He took off uh, the, the the chains on the bottom of the snare. He like loosened them. So the snare has this empty pung sound as opposed to the rat of a you know normal snare. And he's playing it with his hands. And we did it like two or three times. And at the end of it, his hands were killing him. I know that he got really sore doing this. And Jake was particularly proud of this uh, bass line he wrote here. So we, we, you know, we had the riff, we played around with it, and then we sort of arranged it. Like, okay, we're going to start slow with this, we'll build on this, you come in, then we'll come in, and you can hear the song build to something and then fade out. And it's very, I wanted them to be positive, ethereal, atmospheric, dreamy, you know, because the whole thing is, no, is nostalgia, right? You know, you're connecting to feelings from the past and memories, you're connecting to, to uh, old friendships and dreams and hopes and stuff and uh, past loves and it needs to feel like you're kind of floating. So both songs have a very floaty feeling. Um, and so like I introduced, I don't know if I said that on the first episode or the second episode, but the details um, in these two interludes were very particular. Uh, Crew Street had to be um, obviously the, the the first stage friend group people. So it had to be Cody, uh, Cody Hopper. It needed to be Todd from Top Shelf. It needed to be Shannon uh, and James Kelly. Um, I don't think I'm missing anybody from the first group. No. Um, yeah, it needed to be five and seven. That, that, that's, that's pretty tough. I think I did that right. Let me see. One, two, three, four. Mm-hmm. Five, six, seven. No, wait. Oh, I did that wrong. So one, two, three, wait, what is going on with me? Okay, I'm pretty sure it's five and seven. Cody, Todd, Shannon, James, Cody, Todd, Shannon, J what's wrong with me? 
That's Todd. First off, I have to say, uh, I'm just going to stop counting them. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I knew, I just knew I knew that Crew Street had to be the original, uh, like, Corinth, Mississippi crew, and then Lakeshore Drive had to be the college people, the people that I met at the university, obviously. Now, it's not such a deep thing, but it's just, um, I really, I wanted them separated because it's like different stages of my life. I was so happy with Todd's, I'm, I'm happy with everybody's message in the end. Everything came out kind of exactly as it should have. Um, I had to ask Todd to send a second one, but no problem. He sent it very quickly and it was beautiful. And he has such a well-spoken way of his, the way he thinks and the way he talks. I really wish he had like an audio book or I wish he did a podcast. Um, I would love that. But the way he talks, this opening passage about the Jack Kerouac book on the road, he describes the passage in the book and it's so beautiful how he connects that to our, to our friendship. about the yellow Roman candles exploding across the sky and how everybody just watches and goes, ah, that was sort of the nature of our friendship. That was sort of the nature of our friendship. That's beautiful, man. It's so beautiful. And we have Cody on, I think Cody comes in next. So Jordan and I grew up in a very small town and we were cooler than everyone there, just... None of them thought so. <laughs> and we were a lot cooler than them, just none of them thought so. Uh, that's part, yeah, Cody's, you know, very deep voice coming in there. Um, all of this came out so perfect. You know, Cody talks about how we used to record music in his parents' house using a garage band microphone into his PC. I'm still surprised that worked as a real microphone. Isn't that crazy? Uh, we recorded just albums of music there and, and, and you know in his parents like in the downstairs we did so much stuff it was we were like such creative little losers I loved it I, I wouldn't have traded that for anything you know we were so innocent god we were so innocent you know and, and it changed so fast like into teenagers who wanted to be like grown-ups I don't know I feel like the the age of like 16 to 18 was so monumental for like me trying to think I needed to be something else and trying to be cool and where my insecurities just ramped up. I remember all, I remember so much of this with Cody being in his parents' house, both of us in like baggy basketball shorts and t-shirt and uh you know you know Cody's drawings of Bruce Lee and Batman everywhere on the floor and us using a garage band microphone and a cheap acoustic guitar to write you know little songs inspired by this this like unknown artist from Utah Drew Danbury trying to like be inspired by him and um you know oh he did this he added clapping so let's add claps and like oh th let's make it sound like um this song is in the background at like a party so we would like record the song and then put the microphone in like a slightly different room and just talk like oh so um are you gonna move in this saturday oh yeah well sally and i were gonna plan on going on a date and like have this mumbling talking it was so weird we tried all these things we did music videos in his living room like um we did uh like a fast motion uh <laughs> we uh, I forgot the spoon song. Uh, drive my drive my car, love my car, car. Um, uh, I I hate that I just forgot that, but it's a cute, really cute video of just us like playing air guitar and air drums for this spoon song. And I don't know, we're just kids, you know. We did oh, we did the goofiest video ever, 
ever for a song from Sleepyhead. Who is this? That's gonna drive me crazy. Passion Pit. Oh my God. When did when did this song come out? Let me see when when um, Sleepyhead came out on this album, which came out in two thousand nine. That can't be. It can't be. I'm, I was 18 years old when we did that. There's no way. There's no way. It must have been a single. It must have been a single before it was an album. That can't be true. That cannot be true. I guess it's not totally important right now. But I will continue to believe that that is not possible, that I was 18 when we did that video. But anyway, you know, I was a late bloomer when it came to like trying to be an adult. I guess I still am, but... Anyway, yeah, we did all this really fun, goofy, silly stuff in his parents' house, and I'm going to save more of that for, for his song. That's coming up soon anyway. But yeah, Cruise Street was just, we, we improvised a thing based on a riff that I had. We, we played it a few times in the studio. I got the voice memos to come in. Um, Shannon's is on there. I'll, I'll play a little bit more of it here. Top Shelf Records. That's where we got a lot of the music and the movies that made us who we are. It's crazy to think about where we both are separately. And that that's that's Shannon, by the way. Hold on, sorry, my my WhatsApp was on. I love I love Shannon's. Um, I remember I had just played a concert. I was on tour with my band. I guess it was 2017, late 2017 or early 2018. No, it must have been late 2017 because we finished everything by January 2018. I remember I got the I got the um voice memo by email we played a gig I had and I walked out into this alley behind the restaurant where we were uh, having our dinner and listened to it and was just like so tearful I just loved it where we both are separately and that we came from the same tiny little town we spent every day just listening to music so the story goes, Jordan and I were, were down in this old abandoned house. Okay, okay. I, I mean, I'm going to get to James Kelly later. I'm going to get to him at his song uh, at the very end. But I love that he chose this story. A lot of people chose these like really deep sort of, you know, personal uh, sort of ethereal things. Like Shannon's is very like soft-spoken and like, you know, thinking about life and like choices. And like we listen to music and that was who we are. And so interesting to see how far we've come and... You know, Cody is, you know, still funny, but like thinking about our, we used to do this together in Top Shelf. That's what made us who we are. And, you know, Todd is in this headspace of like, you know, this book with this passage, it was so poetic. And that was kind of what our friendship was about. And it's all these beautiful, really deep thoughts from people. And James did exactly what I would have hoped that he would do, which is just tell like the goofiest story of something that we did together that we're both so stupid for, you know, be it, we were in this, um, I think I've told the story on this podcast before, but we were in this old abandoned house. Uh, I guess I was, oh yeah, I guess I was like 17 or so. We were in this abandoned house with him and a few of his friends who were his age. I mean, there were people that I knew. They were kind of friends of mine, not so close. I was the young cat in the group and it was Jay. They're, you know, a few years older. Um, so I met with James. It was near his house. He's like, oh, come down the street. I'm here with Jesse and blah, 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 and whoever else. 
and we meet down there and the guys are having like a few disgusting like strawberry Smirnoff ices or something like, ooh, gross. Where did you get that? No, I don't want one. Thanks. I'm fine. And uh, we were like, oh, let's go look in the house. They called it the Bat House. It was this abandoned building that nobody lived in. And there was rumors that people looked for bats in the building. And I had never seen a bat before. And, you know, you're bored in a small town where there's not much to do. And the movies are closed. It's late at night. What else are you going to do? So, of course, we go in through a door or a window or something. And, you know, we have uh, some, we have, I think we have our phones for light. And some people have lighters. And we look around, you know. We just look around the house and someone is very spooky. It's very ashy. It's very dark. It's very dusty. It feels like it's just like a nesting space for snakes and spiders. Just not really where I want to be. But the energy and the adrenaline are pumping because you're with these teenagers who are excited about everything they see and hear. And, oh, maybe there's a bat here. And someone found like a broomstick and was like swinging at it. What they thought was maybe a bat that, I don't know, fluttered around. Anyway, we left the house pretty quick. I don't think we were in there too long because it could have absolutely been the resting place for a serial killer. Um, Yeah. And we just, I think we, yeah, someone, I mean, a couple of guys were smoking cigarettes in there, but I don't remember them doing anything too irresponsible with them, but I wasn't paying attention to some guy smoking a cigarette, you know, whatever. And we left the house and we went back to James's and the next morning we woke up, went back to check on the house because one friend in our group had a bad dream that the house burned down. How crazy is that? So we went back really early in the morning. Like we woke up, we're like, okay, he's really scared. Let's go check. And it was, by the way, so this friend woke up in the middle of the night, let's say like one in the morning, two in the morning, scared, bad dream. Guys, I think the house burned down. Me and James said, okay, let's go check. James and I got into his truck, drove the mile down the road, looked at the house, perfectly fine, no smoke. Now, this was a couple of hours or more after we'd left. No smoke, nothing. House was there, house was fine. We go back, we tell the guy, no, everything's cool. There's no problems at all, don't worry. We go to sleep. I get up the next morning, I go back home. Um... Later that morning, James calls me and says, dude, you're not going to believe this. The house is burned down to the ground. And I was like, what? What? He's like, yeah, man. I said, but we went back and we checked. Everything was fine. There wasn't even any smoke coming out of the windows. He's like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Um, Yeah, so, you know, then the police call me to come into the station again and Everyone, at least everyone did tell the truth that I wasn't drinking underage. I was very happy for that, at least. Because they could have just said that I wasn't there. You know what I mean? Like, if there's like four dudes all the same age drinking, going into a house to look for bats, you know, you probably shouldn't just be like, oh, and there was a 17-year-old kid there who also didn't drink, but he was there. You know, just like, leave me out of it. But anyway, they didn't. And I had to go there with my parents who were very unhappy about this because I'd already been in the I'd already been in the jail before and talked to all these policemen before. And uh, yeah, the funny thing was we're talking to the to the I don't know, maybe the sheriff or someone. He's got his feet up on the desk. He's like a television cowboy. And he pulls up this like giant glass jug of whiskey, like what looked to be an enormous container for some sort of cheap road whiskey. He was like, "Was this was y'all's, right? This was your whiskey." I was like, "No, 
not at all. And he was like, you sure you lying to me? You lying to me? And I was like, no, I promise that's not ours. That's not ours. He's like, okay. The boy said the same thing. I was like, oh, well then don't, come on, don't corner me on this. If everyone said the same thing, why would I all of a sudden be like, actually, they're all liars? Um, like, what would we have to lose? If I'm in trouble anyway, why would I care if I, like, I would be like, yes, sir, that was ours. You know what I mean? Um, but it wasn't. And what's left out of that story a lot was that when we, and this is really getting off the trail here, but what's getting, what's left out of that story most of the time is that when we left that house the first time, when I got back to James's house, I was in his driveway alone for quite some time wondering what had happened there just a mile down the road. Well, I called James after about 20 minutes and I was like, where are you? What's going on? Should I go back? He's like, oh man, you know, you won't believe it. This group of rednecks, which is funny because, you know, we're all kind of rednecks at that time. But these were like real rednecks, like, you know, hunting rifle in the back window glass, camouflage hats with the fish hook on the bill sort of thing like that. He said, these rednecks showed up and they were really aggressive and they were drunk and they were threatening us and they were asking why we were on this property and trying to scare us. And one of them was trying to fight one of us. It was really like this intense what sounded like a very violent encounter. But then after a few more minutes, they, they left and they, they showed up and we just kind of forgot about it. Um, my personal theory is one of two things. Either those rednecks went into the house separate from us, but just on the same night and stupidly burned it down, either on purpose or by accident, or the rednecks went in there because we went in there and burned it down either on purpose or on accident. But we got busted for it. Somehow our names were called first for that incident. So very interesting. But yeah, James tells it much funnier and much shorter on the actual song, just that it burned down and we were like, oh my God, like what the hell did we do? You know, we really thought, how did we do this? But Anyway, the charges were dropped. We had to pay a fine. It really sucked. And I was in trouble again. Again, not a personality choice that I was trying to go for. I didn't want to be the bad boy. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be the bad boy. Okay? I didn't have a leather jacket. I didn't have greased back hair. Okay? I didn't have a motorcycle. I wasn't trying to be a bad boy. I didn't have fingerless gloves. I didn't have aviator sunglasses. Okay. I didn't punch jukeboxes to playing my favorite song without the need of a quarter. Okay. I wasn't a bad boy. I just got wrapped up with the wrong people. And in this case, I think, I think I was framed. Anywho. So cruise street is this instrumental song with wonderful friends telling their perspective on a great memory or some part of our friendship. Go check it out. Then we go into number nine. Uh, so number nine is Count on Me, which is Bruno's song, my friend Bruno Doria. And uh, I'm actually going to go to his uh, wedding next spring. Very excited about that. He's uh, marrying our good friend Lizzie. Very happy for, for them. Um, so if we look at this song... Just about every song, I'd say what what I tried to do, there's, there's really only a couple songs that don't do this. 
but one what I really what I tried to do was to make sure that if I if if there was something in our friendship that caused problems and it was a very big deal and it would be something that we couldn't in good conscience in good conscience good conscience in good conscious uh, leave out of the story of our friendship then I tried in some way one way or another to put it into the lyrics um like for example in stars uh i said that in the first episode um my brother i've seen your worst burning eyes keep pushing sleep away matt had a problem with drugs and uh it was a big part of our friendship for a while and that was just something that we i wouldn't have left out of the story of our friendship if i was writing a book about it so um, but it's just the one line and at most and 99% of the song is how proud I am for what he's done and what he's accomplished. Um, you know, with George, it's not a song like that. It's just, just a praise song. Um, you know, I don't even think there's, no, there's no, uh, it's only praise James again, you know, um, there's little things like, are you driving? Have you had too much to drink? You know, James got a DUI in college. Um, alcohol became kind of a problem for him, but just for a short while, you know, and he dealt with that problem swimmingly as one would do if they were swimming in the bottle. Uh, but he did a great job. That's a bad joke. Um, and that's why I even say like, I was a heavy burden on your soul, you know? Um, cause you know, when some people suffer from diseases like addiction, sometimes you wonder if you're not doing enough. Then you get into things like Tame Impala Nights. Again, just a straight up praise song. Like Biggie's just kind of been a rock. He's just a rock type of guy. And we never had any problems. Um, so that's why that's just a quick praise. Um, High School, as we learned in last week's episode, is a, an, a, you know, a plethora of complicated emotional stories and history. So this didn't even cover everything. It's just, you know, it it is challenging and it is about these things. Um, but every song has, if it's not an only praise song, every song has some praise, but I also tried to hit the, hit the real things. Um, and count on me. I remember the first time I showed it to Bruno in his old studio, just after we finished the masters. And he said that the first couple of lines made him nervous about the direction of the song, uh, until he heard, like the second verse. So here's the lyrics of the song. You know how to hide. A nice fancy camera you stand behind. You know how to talk so that nobody ever sees your heart. Now I sing it when I sing it um, live, I say so that nobody ever hears your heart. I think that makes more sense actually. Um, and then the chorus is, don't you know by now that you can count on me? Come by and just say what you need to say and let it all fall away. The next verse is, you carried me on your back when my foolishness slipped right on through the cracks. You've got so much to give, never wasted one damn second since you were a kid. Don't you know you can count on me, come by, say what you need to say, and let it all just fall away. So it's not a lot of lyrics in this song, um, but it, it tries to split this thing in half. Um, when I first really became close with Bruno, he was dating this girl he'd been dating for years. Her name was Sarah. They lived in a house together, and I moved into their house. I started renting a room in their house. And we were all friends, and I lived there for probably what feels like two years. And in those two years, 
um, Bruno went from somebody who was all the, all extremely kind and cool. Don't get me wrong. He was always very nice and cool. But he went from somebody who was very closed off, a little bro-y, a little like, dude, bro, yeah, no, it's fine, bro. Yeah, I'm sick. Everything's good. Like from this guy who like doesn't open up, is very closed off, is very much into his work, and just doesn't like, you know, it, he is, at the time he was only his work, and he didn't like have time or have the heart or have the reason to open up about anything real. And I liked him so much and I just saw this potential like he has a big family and he had cancer as a child and he's in this relationship at the time that wasn't doing so well. Things were problematic with him and Sarah and I just saw this potential like he needs a friend but there is no one there asking him how he is. There's just people who are trying to get after the money he's been earning as a successful businessman or trying to get something out of his house or out of something from him. Everybody always wants something out of Bruno, I feel like. And so the song is started off with this beginning of our friendship. Like, you know how to hide a nice fancy camera you stand behind. I mean, he's this extremely successful director of photography. He has his own production agency. He's always been a well-invested well-guided, very intelligent, up-to-date, hands-on film businessman. I interviewed him on this podcast earlier this year. You should go listen to it. He's a sweetheart, but you'll see what I mean. And he's nonstop. He's a nonstop working machine. That stems from his almost loss of life as a child when he had brain cancer. He almost died. And when he didn't, there's this sort of subconscious new wiring in his brain that keeps him moving constantly and when he didn't have this opening up feature like when that door was really closed and locked all the way um it was very hard to get through that door so i saw him as like someone who was always hiding behind this work and he was always talking in a way that like never gave you the truth so that's why that first verse is a little I don't want to say a little harsh, it's a little stiff, but it's what it was, you know, and I wanted to be honest. Um, And throughout the time living in that house, throughout his eventual breakup with Sarah, just before I moved to Germany, we became extremely close. We spent a lot of one-on-one time together in that house, um, you know, either playing his, you know, Nintendo Wii or watching movies or just sitting out in the back patio with a few beers and just looking at the stars and talking. And it became one of my favorite relationships ever because it really I felt like finally someone he could trust and like talk to and we were always like relying on each other and we were I don't know he's he's still like one of my best friends although we don't talk as much these days but he's so funny and so incredible and yeah I miss that time where I felt so perched on his shoulder in in a way um but that that is that sort of purpose behind that uh, behind the lyrics and um, and you know the production of that song I remember when I made the demos for this album I was very nervous that all the professional musicians I'd hired <laughs> to play this album would hear these demos and go uh, sorry my friend I can't play steaming piles of shit like the demos were so cheap and so poorly recorded and so bad like the quality like I I had sort of a rough idea in my mind of what I wanted the songs to sound like and I knew you know I had so me it's you know I was focused on the lyrics I was focused on the message focused on the concept I had a I knew how I could play the song if the song was just me and a guitar 
But if you're thinking about arrangement for a whole band, it's much, much, it's a much bigger undertaking than you think at first. If you've never done it before, might be different now since I've done it a couple of times, but it's, um, it's a huge thought process to go through. And when I made my demos, I didn't have so much stuff laying on top of these tracks. I didn't have that many arrangements. And Bruno's song was just me and a guitar. And I had a whole different style, a whole different, not genre. Well, yeah, actually a different genre. This song came out a little country, a little, I don't know. Like sometimes I feel like this song came out a little like rockabilly country and it's not at all what I intended it to sound like. Not at all. I thought it was going to be more Sufjan Stevensy. If you know, when I play it alone, if I play it the original way that I wrote it, it was much more like soft and I don't know. I don't want to sing it, but like it was a bit more somber and in the ear. And now if I play it, I always play it a bit more like the record, which is more like like get her done. And it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't my original concept. That was my biggest concern with most of the songs was how they came out as opposed to what I thought going in. And if the friends would like the style, you know, um, but again, like I said in the last episode, most people like a song written about them, whether or not this, whatever the style is. So I didn't, I don't actually have to worry about that stuff. Um, but so yeah, we, we went into that with very rough demos. Um, and we really built that a lot in the studio. Again, a lot of these things were sort of built in the moment of being there with the musicians. And, you know, we had a, we had a, a tempo in mind that I'd built with Tim we had a certain speed I knew the shape of the song I knew the structure I knew I wanted a guitar solo in this part I knew how the bridge would go I knew how the chorus I knew how everything would go if it was looking at like a skeleton I knew which bones connect to which bones and in which order um but Nick Solnick was the guy who came came up with the whole like choo-choo train drums like rocka chaka 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 you know, he was very set, heart set on that from the beginning. Um, it took me a while to, like, in, like externally, I agreed pretty early on. Internally, it took me definitely a few hours of trying this out before I really actually agreed with it. Um, and when we do it live now, I'm I'm very happy with it. We, you know, we call it the choo-choo train because it's fun. It is sort of like chugging along. Um, and I like, yeah. I mean, I like everything about it now. At the time, I think I was still so shocked how country it came out. Like even the bass has this like doom, 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 boom, 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 boom. You just don't. I don't know. I just didn't go into it with that mentality. But also, then I kind of accepted it because I thought, hey, I'm from Mississippi. You know, I lived in Louisiana for years. I'm from the South. That's where country and blues and rock and roll came from. So this is just an exemplary example, <laughs> an exemplary example of my roots and I should look at it that way and now that I and now I do. So I'm I'm definitely happy with that. Um but yeah, we we kind of built that in the studio um and man then we got we got to that guitar solo and I got it Hell yeah, I just couldn't believe this guy, Avi, how 
like mind-blowingly crazy innovative and fast he was on the electric guitar i mean this guitar solo is unbelievable this particular style and this is the way that i pitched it to him i said i want some real chicken picking that's like an old bluegrass term you know this chicken picking and he took it and he's like okay and he just annihilated this song I love this, the way he comes in here. Here it is. Dude, not only extremely fast, like so fast that you can't even, like, you can't hear where the fingers are on the fretboard. Like, it's unbelievable. But as you also heard, like, I've have it, I have it memorized. Uh, it's so melodic, it's so easy to remember. It has such a character and a voice, and it's running, and it's jumping, and it's swinging, and it's alive, and in ex exactly in the pocket, exactly in the moment, so fresh, so loving, so uh, such a big, warm, excited, adrenaline-filled electric hug from me to Bruno. Like, it's a perfect solo. Um, I, I, I have to, I have to just appreciate that guitar solo. It's exactly what I wanted. It's way more than I expected out of a guitar solo. And it's just so alive. And, um, you know, I had, I, I, you know, I had problems working with Avi on this album in parts and, you know, maybe I'll get to that at another time and, you know, personal relationship or whatever aside or, or whatever, you know, like Avi's, um, you know, ran into a lot of issues in the last couple of years, but just, just looking at this album as a, like him, I mean, what he was, was a hired gun and him on this album as a guitar player, just, I mean, when I listen to the solo on stars or on this song, it's just, or Eye to Eye is still my favorite guitar solo of like any album that I have ever been on. I mean, this dude, he wrote them in such weird pieces and we kind of stitched little moments of it together. We didn't, but we didn't assist him too much, but he wrote such a, a, a voice into them that I think I didn't appreciate as much in the moment, but I really do now. I really appreciate the, the voicing and you just, I don't know, I feel like that's so greatly underappreciated. Like there's such a, a, a an alive person running and jumping in that solo. I'm just so happy that we got it the way that we got it. And yeah, you know, Vivi's on the piano. We got the harmony in there. Um, and of course, Tim did a great job as usual. It's just a really, uh, it's, it's, you know, maybe not the original song that I planned to do when I went in, but it is a really fun song and my favorite thing i think in the end what we built in the studio like so we, we we ran the song a few times and then we took a lunch break and i always found that me and vivi were the ones who were back into the room the fastest we would just like eat and then get back into thinking and arranging and talking about everything 
And uh, one thing that we built in the studio on this lunch break was, or Vivi came up with the idea after running it a bit, was this piano. I mean, it just sets the whole song off. It's this dreamy, it's it's this lifting, like opening a portal. Where are we going? What is this song going to be about? You have this like strong momentum, chug along drum. But then this piano is just opening up. And it's amazing. I was so happy with that. I remember sitting behind the drum kit and she was trying it out. She's like, what do you think about this? And I loved it so much as I tend to do with her stuff. And I started playing this very different kind of drum beat with it. And I thought, ooh, this could be like a vampire weekendy, arcade fiery sort of track. Maybe I'll take out the acoustic guitar. We focus on the piano and that crazy rhythm. I play this different drum beat. And I was actually discouraged from following that instinct. Uh, I think out of fear of wasting too much time, which to be fair, uh, I can do. I can get carried away following fresh ideas without thinking them through and taking up too much time in a studio. I, I, I have been known to do that. I did that on Simple Swimmer. I obviously did it on this record. And I always tend to do it. I just, I, you know, when you're in the room surrounded by the gear and you're there with the best equipment and you're playing, uh, you're playing the best that you can and you play it back immediately, you, you always, I mean, any sort, any songwriter, any musician gets a tickle for something new they didn't have in mind 10 seconds ago and you want to follow it through and try it out. And sometimes it is best if you have enough preparation and you have enough professionals around you to just try and power through with that first idea and uh, follow that one through before you follow out, uh, follow through with something that you didn't have planned out. Um, we did keep that piano, and I think it really nails the character of the song. That and the guitar solo are the two most special things for me about that song. They really bring the whole character together. Um, and yeah, I think that my only regret is that I wish I would have sang it a little better. I, but I say that about everything. As I get older, Someone told me once that the difference between this album and Simple Swimmer is that on this album, it's the greatest songs I've ever written, but I don't sing it as well as Simple Swimmer, which has not the greatest songs I've ever written, but the greatest singing that I've done. <laughs> so if I could like re-sing these songs, which maybe I will be doing for some videos or something if this record label thing goes through, then maybe we'll get a chance to hear what it could sound like. But count on me, and especially later we'll talk about Eye to Eye. There's just, and God, Great Big Light. Man, there's so many problems with that song. That song's going to be a shit show. But there's so many songs that I just um, really hate my singing on it. And that's just how it is. I get older, my voice gets a little deeper, it gets a little stronger. Uh, you know, you train and you practice more and... It's just, uh, it's an instrument that changes sound as you age, and I just wish maybe with a few of these songs I sing them a little stronger, a little better. Count On Me is fun. I like it. It was one of my favorite singles to put out. I believe we did Stars, and then we did Eye to Eye as a single. I think Count On Me was the third 
final single. And then when the album came out, I think we put out Most Famous Surprise. I think everybody was a little confused why I didn't put James out as a single. And in the end, I in the end I should have, you know. It was the obvious fan favorite. It has the most streams on the album. It's double double the nearest stream count of, you know, whatever, almost. Count on Me did really well too. It's a great video. Really, really happy with the video. Um, and Stars is, you know, Bruno made the video for Stars with all this footage of Matt. And, uh, I, you know, we'll get to Eye to Eye later. That video has a lot of drama behind it. That was a really problematic situation. But um, ironically, Eye to Eye is where Vivi and I didn't see Eye to Eye on some things and it caused a little problem. But that's in the past. And yeah, so count on me. That Cruise Street is the first interlude. It has all the Mississippi people in it. Some funny stories, some nice, deep, beautiful things. Count on me is about Bruno and um, our friendship, which started off as like me trying to pry the door open to his heart and then us just like flourishing into this cool uh, sort of duo uh, who work together on like film projects and music projects and um, yeah, I love him. And I think this, uh, although is crazier style than what I went into, I think it, it became what it was supposed to, uh, become. And I'm very happy with it. And yeah, my only thing would just to be able to sing it again, but who knows what will happen one day. Guys, I have to stop here. I already have to jet off. I have a lot of work to do today, but I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you liked today's episode, please make sure to go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a rating or review or a comment or share it or just tell a friend word of mouth. Just, hey, hey, my buddy's talking about his album on the, on his podcast and you know, if you like a song, if you appreciate anything about this, please make sure to share it. We got to try and grow this artsy fartsy family. Please and thank you very much. Um, Otherwise, in the show description, we we have our social media, our Instagram, our our TikTok, our YouTube page. And uh, yeah, we're going to get some new guests on after this series is finished. And and after this series is finished, calm down. And I will let you know Uh, the updates about the album stuff with the record label next week after I've spoken more to Magnus. So thank you for listening. I love you guys very much. Take it easy and I'll be back next week. Artsy Farsi Immigrants, ein Podcast von John Prince und Moritz Badscheider, produziert für M94.5.